Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Gehring. Bobby. Alex! What's going on? You know what I'm really excited about? Yes. The day after this podcast airs, I'm going to be in Florida. And then like a day or two later, you're going to be in Florida. You're going up like really early. So for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, if you are part of President's Circle uh, for RPAC, then there's an extra trip that you get to go to. You get to have your stay paid for uh, for a certain amount of time. All you have to pay for is airfare. So it's a, it's a good time. A lot of people bring their families. I was just telling Bobby, I'm going to be batching it this time because Sarah and I just got back from Cabo. She can't take more time off work. Um, I'm not looking for tears for the fact that we just got back from Cabo. It was a lot of fun. And it was thanks to Bobby who, who had recommended it. Uh, but um, should we talk a little bit about Mara? No. She'll talk about herself. Okay. Oh, gosh. No. So I was thinking about this yesterday. And I am so excited because we get to have my best friend on our podcast. And so do you have a best friend we could bring on the podcast, Alex? I kind of feel like that we need to make that happen to make it fair. Cause it's not really fair. We get to sit here and talk to my best friend for, you know, 20 minutes. I, we, I've, I've got plenty of friends we could bring on the podcast. I don't know what we talk about with them though. <laughs> We'd figure out something. I mean, every once in a while, you just have a fun topic. We could talk about operas. Oh, no, no, nobody wants to hear about that. We actually could bring Mara back and talk about musical theater because here's what's really interesting about Mara is her, she has a background in music, like her degree is in music education. Yeah, really? Yes, we could do, I want her full background before she gets on here. She wasn't always a realtor. Um, but that's, she actually was a teacher for a while, but her degrees in music education, she's that girl that you go to karaoke with. And then you're like, oh, I really, I really bad at karaoke. Cause she, she real good. Like she can bring out the Whitney Houston and just make you look bad. I like, want to do a duet with Mara now. Well, you need to be able to rap because she's really I, good at Eminem. I can. Yes. Rap. Oh, she's a rapper. Yes. I can, I can, I can rap. We're going to, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> now I know some things. Yeah. So next time we go to DC, I don't know if there's the, the karaoke bar in San Diego for a convention, but there's one in DC that we always like to go to. I was and, there last time. Yeah. And we usually rent a room. Well, most of the rooms get rented by realtors, but usually we have a room. So y'all can come do your thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, right. so anyways, we've said half of her name. Mara Neal is our guest today. She <laughs> is a realtor out of Atlanta, Georgia. Also my best friend. Um, is she your best friend? She, no, she's my bestie. She's not just my best friend. She's my bestie. I was, um, I was making fun of you because you said it like 12 times now. I know, because people need to know. <laughs> Anyways, um, she makes me look better. Here's the thing. There are certain people that have told us that when we're together, and this is going to be air quotes for those of you who are obviously can't see the video because we're a podcast. <laughs> Anyways, they tell us that when we get together, we're a bit much. And it's probably accurate. So a bit much, a bit much. So, so, so for those of you that are listening to this podcast, this podcast might end up being a bit, a bit much. much. Okay. It's very, it's very possible. Um, so <laughs> you may recognize her voice. She was a speaker for recharge this year, and she's actually been a speaker for recharge in past years back before the pandemic. And we were doing things in person. Um, but she's been to Kansas city. I think the first time it was actually, it was the year my mom died not trying to make it sad, but she came, it was, that was April and my mom died in February. And it was really so nice of KCRER, this was planned ahead of time, to bring Mara into town in April. And I got to see her and it was very, I will never forget that. Um, and so, because we had a spa day and it was much needed. And, uh, but she's been a speaker for Recharge before. She travels the country. She's a national speaker. Uh, she's actually a li- liaison for NAR this year. She like oversees like 17 committees. And uh, let's see what else. She's actually really big speaker on, um, that's actually what we're going to talk about today, is on veterans and active duty military. She just wrote an article for Realtor Magazine on this exact topic. And so that's why we thought we'd bring her on and we would expand that topic about talking about working with veterans. And we know VA buyers are having a hard time getting their offers accepted. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about some of the intricacies of working with our veteran buyers. 
and the stigmas that don't shouldn't be there that aren't accurate yeah 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 i agree yeah i yeah so that's what we're gonna do but you know before she gets here you know what we got oh i can guess <laughs> a book bit you're right hey hey, hey. Do, 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 bobby's book bit casey okay so I know that was a bad one, wasn't it? <laughs> Anyways, so the book I picked today is there's a reason that I picked it, and it's because it's a curse word in the title, and because I curse a lot with Mora. So there's the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. We all have heard of that book. I think we've done it as a book bit before, maybe. I don't remember. Anyway, Mark Manson wrote a follow-up book called Everything is Effed, a book about hope. Now, this was a book my husband gave me for Christmas, <laughs> which is just really funny that your husband would give you a book called everything is effed. It's a book about hope, but everything is effed. A book about hope explains what's wrong with our approach towards happiness and gives us some philosophical approaches towards making our life worth living as you would. But there's a quote that I really like from this book and it's hopelessness is the root of anxiety, mental illness, and depression. It's the source of all misery and the cause of all addiction. So most of us believe that somehow if we can avoid pains and discomforts in life, we're going to be happy. So we buy all kinds of things to solve our problems. But as a result, and as a people, we are actually becoming more anxious and more depressed. So he suggests that anger and sadness are not actually the opposite of happiness, that the root cause of unhappiness is actually hopelessness. And that a lot of us are actually feeling that hopelessness. Having unrealistic beliefs about your perfect future, thank you, Facebook, is making us mentally ill and self-centered. So there's three points to the book. And number one is the rational mind is not capable of making your best decisions. In the book, he talks about this guy named Elliot who had a tumor removed from his frontal lobe in his brain. And then he lost the... Um, capacity to process feelings. Now you might think this would make him become a more efficient person because he no longer had to deal with the emotional resistance to making decisions when it came to things. But instead, he stopped giving an F about everything. Instead of going to an important meeting, he just run out to the store and buy a stapler. Instead of going to his kid's baseball game, he would just sit and watch TV because he didn't have an emotional pull to do anything. So in this book, he suggests that you need to appeal to both your thinking side and to your feeling side in order to make decisions. But too often we get pulled just towards the emotional side when we're making our decisions. The second one, accepting life's truths and following principles is better than hoping or creating belief systems. He talks about how every religion has something in common. It gives a sense of hope and faith to its followers. But the problem with such hope related beliefs that uh, German philosopher Nietzsche talked about is that hope divides people's perceptions into either good or bad, which creates more unhappiness and conflicts than it does actually giving meaning to our lives. Nietzsche asked us to look beyond good and evil to accept uncomfortable truths about life, such as insignificance and death. And that's really hard things for us to wrap our brains around. And he talks about meditation is a great way to embrace life's uncomfortable truths. It gives you space to acknowledge, accept, and let go of the dark thoughts that can cloud your perception. Mindfulness will make you more comfortable with accepting the fact that everything is effed. And the last one is the pursuit of happiness leads to more depression and anxiety. Any marketer or buyer knows the power of hitting potential customers' pain points to get people to make purchases. Many advertisers take advantage of our desire for happiness and sell us products we don't actually need. With the rise in technology, we're trying to make our lives easier for ourselves, but as a side effect, we're giving away our freedom by becoming addicted to our services and devices. Our compulsiveness leads to less self-control, which causes depression and anxiety. True freedom and happiness come when your well-being is not dependent on the comfort that comes from emerging products or services. When you reduce things from your life, 
and take charge of your behavior on platforms like social media, it gives you the liberty by freeing up your time and attention. And I've even noticed that in myself lately as I have become, I just, I keep trying to put the phone down, but yet I'll refresh Facebook and there's nothing new. And then I'll pull it down and refresh it again and refresh it again when I just need to step away from it, go read a book, go do something else. But it, he, you know, he talks about in this book is that we've just put ourselves into this position by becoming addicted to social media, by becoming addicted to things that will make us happy when that's not actually what will make us happy. So the book, Everything is Effed, a book about hope. That's my book, but. I'm glad to hear about this. Uh, I always see this book and, mm -hmm. and I always see the, the other one as well by, mm -hmm. by Mark Manson. Yep. And I always look at it and I assume that it's, probably a little gimmicky yeah just because it's got the eft yep right in there you know yep. and so i always skip it because i just figure it's probably you know yeah uh, like every other book i've ever read with a bunch of swear words in it so, right i um, i think you might actually enjoy this one i'll i'll you know what i'll check it out okay you know what it's Is time it to time? bring on laura oh, let's do it Welcome, Mara. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you guys, Bobby and Alex? Alex, how are you? We're good. We're doing very well. It's a beautiful day here. It's not raining. It's sunny. And we're all going to be in Florida soon. We are well, going to be in Florida soon. And I also feel like I was remiss. I should say, hi, producer Amber. I was going to say, poor Amber's not going to Florida. So sorry, Amber. Sorry we keep talking sorry, about Florida. <laughs> Kip needs to send you to Florida. We'll send Kip a message. It's fine. Because we could all do another podcast while we're in Florida if Amber were there. I'm just saying. Well, that would be fun. Yeah. So, Mara, we brought you on to talk about veterans today. But before we get there, I want you to tell everybody about your history, including what your degree is in, because I've already talked about your karaoke singing. And, and Alex wants to sing with you the next time we're in D.C. So, just FYI. But give us your history, where you came from, what state you're from. Um, and tell us all about you. Uh, well, I don't often share that I'm, I'm from Florida, but I'm from Florida. Uh, any Floridians listening, no offense. I just, uh, I grew up in Florida and, um, then I came to South Georgia to go to Florida state university, which is basically in South Georgia. It feels more like Georgia you get four seasons. And because I am, pale as the white driven snow, growing up two miles from the beach was always a little bit of torture for me because I would either turn the color of Bobby's shirt, which I know none of you can see because this is a podcast, but she's wearing a bright red shirt today. And frankly, I discovered in my late teens and early adult years that I really enjoy seasons. So I grew up in Florida and uh, went to Florida State. I did get three extremely useful and marketable degrees. I have uh, a Bachelor of Music Education, and my emphasis was uh, singing. So I would have loved to have been a musical theater major, but it was really competitive at FSU. And But I was a classical voice major. And my other bachelor is in uh, humanities with an emphasis on Baroque art. And then to keep up the string of things that are really useful in the business world, I have a master's, uh, master of arts in English literature with a concentration on uh, Victorian children's lit. So as you can see, all of these things have really contributed to my success as a realtor. Obviously. But they have, haven't they? They have. I, yeah. I think you know, all kidding aside, my, my education background, I always thought I would have a career in academia. I always thought because my mother was a teacher and moved into administrative work that I would be a college professor, which I did teach uh, at the college level for a little while. I do teach for realtors now uh, for local and state associations. I've written and or helped to create a couple of uh, courses for NAR. I create a lot of my own, almost everything I teach is, is my own uh, CE or keynote creation, my own intellectual property, but um, it has contributed. I mean, my ability to go out and teach other realtors has definitely led to referral business and to speaking opportunities and travel that 
the likes of which I, I might not have seen otherwise. I mean, I've been to Guam. I've taught for the Guam Realtors, which is probably one of my most exciting real estate memories is getting to go and teach for an association that has just, or at the time had just over 300 members and all but 11 of them were present for my class. So that's just, those are the exciting things that get to happen when you're a realtor. So how did you get into real estate? Well, I swore that I would never be one. Uh, my dad was a realtor in the 80s, and he moved into the appraisal and, and loan officer side of things. Ultimately, he went into underwriting, and then right before he retired, he was a fraud investigator for Fannie Mae, which is um, kind of, I think, really exciting sounding. I know it's contract work, and he didn't find it all that exciting, but it was during the foreclosure crisis, and he he just, they he had more work than he knew what to do with. But I was laid off from an advertising job after 9-11 and, uh, you know, a lot of people experienced what I did. The most recent hire um, is the first to go in a layoff situation. And so while I was finding myself, air quotes, uh, and figuring out what I wanted to do next, I was seriously considering getting a PhD, probably again in Victorian children's literature. Uh, and I was um, still speaking um, on the topic that my master's thesis, that I had written my master's thesis on. And um, a, an agent whose son I had been dating for a while uh, asked me if I wanted to do some part-time marketing and advertising work for her while I was figuring out what my next step was. And ultimately I, I told her, I will never get a license. Don't even ask me. I don't want to work nights. I don't want to work weekends. I don't want your life. Uh, I ended up marrying her son and she was late to our wedding rehearsal because she was working. And I just said, I, I don't want that. But I've, I also found out that I loved what she did more than the paperwork side of things. I love helping people find homes. I love the educational aspect of it and, and being able to coach and teach consumers through the process and, and through making smart decisions for themselves and their families. And of course you see the commission checks come in and that's the story that we hear most often is, um, oh, it's easy money. When you start as an unlicensed assistant, you know that it is not easy money. But I also learned uh, as much as she and I are not really in touch anymore, um, her son and I are no longer married and, and I left her team five years after he and I uh, divorced. But I learned a lot of what to do from her and I learned a lot of what not to do. I It took me a while to achieve a better balance, but Bobby and I talk about this a lot, um, work-life balance, or as a friend of ours says, the word balance is, is really misleading because none of us really have balance, but we should be working to achieve harmony. And I also love the musical analogy of that. We should work to achieve harmony in our lives. There will be times when work is what is... Uh, the dominant thing. And there will be times when your personal life is dominant and there will be ups and downs and it's a cycle just like the real estate market. But if we can achieve harmony where both sides play well together, then that's, that's the key to, I think, avoiding the burnout, which is what Bobby speaks so eloquently on. So we, we brought you on to talk obviously about working with veterans and active duty military. Why is that your passion? And tell us about your experience working with these amazing human beings. Absolutely. So it's my passion because I was taught from a very young age uh, to have the utmost respect for our military, for our men and women in service, in any branch of service. And that includes, you know, the people that we don't know are serving reservists and National Guard. I mean, your next door neighbor may be called up to active duty anytime and you might not even know that they're in the reserves or the National Guard or, or have some service background. Uh, but my dad was a Vietnam War veteran. He did two and a half tours. He was um, left for dead for three days. Uh, his story is really incredible. And he's one of the, the rare Vietnam vets that will talk about it. And for a very good reason, a lot of them don't. It's, it, you know, nobody knew about PTSD back when my dad came home in uh, and was knocked out of his wheelchair by peace protesters in the airport. Uh, he has a lot of residual injuries and, and medical issues, which a lot of people of his generation do from Agent Orange exposure and from, from injuries that never healed properly. But one of the, one of the things that I... Um, 
learned a lot from my dad because he was one who would talk about it. Uh, we talk a lot about with his background in real estate and in lending the GI bill and how important that was not just for the things that we all know about, which is our men and women get to have a, it's not really a free education, right? It's an education they don't have to pay for, but they certainly earned it. But also VA financing being one of those great benefits that those servicemen and women earn. And so when NAR in 2011 was starting to work on the creation of the military relocation professional, the MRP class, I was thrilled and honored that Kristen Short reached out to me. She was on NAR staff at the time in the education department and said, we're looking for someone who will be the lead instructor who will help us with the creation of this course and the content and, and be one of the subject matter experts. So I thrillingly got to accept that privilege. And we worked very closely with the department of the VA in uh, 2012, the course launched. That's the same year that we celebrated the 70th anniversary of the GI bill. So there was a really great session at NAR in New Orleans that year where we had Holly Petraeus, who's General Petraeus's wife, who does a lot of work with veterans and homeownership, was one of the speakers. Mike Frew, who was the director of the Home Loan Guarantee Program at the time, was one of the speakers. And inexplicably, I was one of the speakers. And I sat on a panel with these two people who do so much for our veterans, just as the lead instructor of this new course that NAR had launched, which is also the reason I got to go to Guam. They were the first association to offer the class officially after it launched. They were so pleased and proud to do that because of course, so much of their population is military. And for me, it's been an ongoing crusade. We, I, I then got to serve as vice chair and then chair as the, of the Federal Financing and Housing Policy Committee for NAR, who continues to work very closely with the VA. And I'll tell you, the Department of the VA, for all of the reputation issues that they might have on the medical side of things, and we need to keep in mind that they never get to make decisions on their own. It's all congressional decisions. And so as you can imagine, it's not easy to get a bill through Congress, especially these days. But one of the big victories we've had lately is the removal of the VA county loan limit, which happened, I believe, in 2019. That's something we've been pushing for for years. And the VA has wanted it for at least a decade, if not more, for veterans to be able to purchase at any price point for which they can qualify with their benefits, not up to some arbitrary limit that you know our government leaders get to set and quite frankly, if they want to buy a property in a certain county, in a certain state like Georgia, they raise the limit in that county. And then all of a sudden they can purchase there. But what happens to the rest of the country? So that was one of our great victories. And it appeared as an amendment, as a little couple of lines in the Blue Water Bill, which is a medical-based bill. It had appeared previously in, I believe, 2016 or 2017 on a VA podiatry bill. So when we, when we talk about how we need reform for VA financing, we need to know that the VA is working very closely with us and supports a lot of what we want for veteran and military home buyers, but they are under the thumb of Congress and they are working hard with their congressional champions, like we work with our realtor champions to get these little pieces of legislation passed as amendments or pieces of much larger bills. And it, it's such a process for them to go through. But I, I love hearing you talk about this because I can tell that you have so much passion for it. And, and we're experiencing so many well, uh, let me let me just say it seems like every uh, there it doesn't matter what the loan program is. Um, appraisers sometimes don't get it right. But anytime it's on a VA loan or an FHA loan, uh, the immediate response is that it, they didn't get it right because it was a VA loan. And that's what uh, so many people in our profession jump to is that they didn't get it right because it was a VA loan. Now it might be that the appraiser got it wrong and it was a VA loan and therefore it's fueling the stigma about VA loans. That might be the case, 
But the reality is that it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a VA loan. And we're experiencing that every single day right now in, in our area. And I'm sure that's true across the country. Uh, uh, so in your position and, and with everything that you do regarding this, are you hearing that this is a nationwide issue, that there's a stigma attached to this and, and veterans are having a difficult time receiving this benefit? Unfortunately, yes. And it's not just in today's market. This is an ongoing problem with, with VA financing and appraisals. And there, there are a couple of things that I think are important to, to think about and to remember. First of all, there are a lot of there's a lot of misinformation about VA financing. The appraisals are just the tip of the iceberg. And there's even misinformation within the military and veteran community specifically. They a lot of people who are eligible don't understand that they can use it multiple times. It's not for first-time home buyers. It's not for one-time use. It can be used over and over again. When you sell a house, you get your eligibility back and then your entitlement is refreshed and you can buy again. But on the appraisal piece, that is something I've sat on the Federal Financing and Housing Policy Committee at NAR, which, which covers FHA, VA, and USDA financing. Those are the three topics that that committee focuses exclusively on. And from 2013, when I first sat on that committee forward, we have heard over and over and over again that this is a problem. Appraisals come in low, appraisers are too picky. There are definitely requirements that make VA and to an extent FHA stand out or, or make listing agents and or sellers nervous. Safe, sound and, and uh, safe, structurally sound and sanitary are the three punch list items, if you will, that a VA appraiser is looking for. And it is kind of a mini home inspection and they do have a, an obligation. For example, if paint is peeling, it needs to be fixed. Now, is it sometimes ridiculous that it's the corner of a windowsill? Sure, but you know what? That's an easy fix. I've gone out, I mean, don't tell anybody on this podcast. I've gone out to a vacant property that's my listing found the one section of peeling paint on a windowsill that a VA appraiser has identified, sanded it, took the paint out of the garage, done some touch-up paint, and guess what? It passed the reinspection. So it's not always a, oh my gosh, I have to repaint my whole house scenario. We've also struggled with, you know, in a garage, there's water stains on the ceiling. The VA appraiser instantly says there's a roof leak. Well, we had proof that the roof was less than six months old and that it was replaced because of a leak. So we just sent that in to him and we were fine. So when you do list a property or when you know that you're going to accept a VA or an FHA contract, the listing agent should have enough background and education or go to their broker and seek it out and say, what do I need to do to prep my seller before this appraiser shows up? To make sure that the things that he might latch onto, a stain on the ceiling, some peeling paint, are not going to be issues. Now, the valuation thing is a little bit different. So much like FHA, VA appraisers need to be certified. They, it's not just any old appraiser who can do it. And unfortunately, they appear to be a breed that's quickly approaching extinction. And I, and I say that, you know, half laughing, but it's, it's not really funny. There, there are fewer and fewer VA appraisers as they retire. And it is something that the VA has been working, working very hard and diligently to try to attract more appraisers to want to be VA and HUD is doing the same thing on the FHA side. But the VA has even, I believe they've close to doubled the pay for a VA appraiser to, to get their certification and, and you know, they will make more for every VA appraisal that they do. Uh, but we see the problem in valuation for a couple of reasons. First of all, for whatever reason, they tend to be a little more conservative. And I think that they think they're looking out for the veteran or the military home buyer, but really ultimately what we're trying to convince the VA and, and from an education process is you're actually hurting the consumer. If you're not using supply and demand and multiple offers as reasons for prices going up, then you're actually hurting the consumer who has now probably paid for inspections and paid for an appraiser on a house that they're now going to have to walk away from. Uh, 
also we're seeing because of the shortage of VA appraisers, and this is a complaint I hear from all over the country, they're coming from several markets away to an area where as agents, we immediately assume that they are unfamiliar with the market because we are so hyper-local in most cases. I know depending on where you live and what part of the country, your market area may be broader or, or narrower. You know, there's Alan Dom in Philadelphia who works, I mean, what does he say, Bobby? He famously says he works like a three block radius and all he does is condos in that three blocks. But then, you know, you go out to more rural areas and you might work eight or 10 counties and that's your market and that's what you're familiar with. So we assume when we see a VA appraiser come from several counties away, oh my gosh, what's going to go wrong with this appraisal? But what we hear as agents is we only hear the horror stories. We hear all the things that went wrong for our seller or for the friend of a friend of a friend seller, you know, it's like the telephone game. The stories get worse as they go from person to person. And I think if we continue to work closely with the VA, we can help them to improve the appraisers and, and the education and the experience. But we also owe it to our military and veteran clients to, to continue at a grassroots level to educate other agents. If I have a veteran client and in any market, I'm calling that agent, I'm explaining VA financing to them, I'm telling them all the reasons they don't need to be scared, I'm telling them that 100% financing is a benefit that person earned by protecting my freedoms, and it doesn't mean they don't have any money. Oftentimes, if you're working with a, a retired officer, they've got money, they just want to save it for something like renovating that ugly bathroom or building a playset for their kid in the backyard. They don't always need closing costs. And while they're not allowed to pay for the $50 termite letter, they're only in a lot of cases asking for the things that the program doesn't allow them to pay for. They're not necessarily always asking for things because they can't afford them themselves. What I'm hearing you say is that the system needs some work, but it's not the veteran's fault and we can't take it out on the veteran. And Absolutely. I feel like that's what happens constantly. We brought it up with Jerry Moran. We had Jerry Moran, um, our senator in Kansas, uh, on the podcast. And it was one of the things that we talked about with him. And I, I mean, it's a, it is a constant issue. Um, and uh, it is so difficult. I, I heard stories about uh, VA buyers putting in offers uh, on Memorial Day and being rejected with the feedback to the buyer's agent that it was because they were getting a VA loan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that's difficult on that, on the same side or on a different side of things, if, uh, you've got a VA loan and all terms are equal, but you've got a conventional that, that matches that loan because of some of the issues you brought up, it isn't necessarily a surprise that a listing agent might say that the conventional loan is, uh, you know, we should look closer at that one for one reason or another. It's not a surprise that that's the way that they feel. It sounds like we really need to look towards some, some reform of the way that this is done. I agree. And, and the, the good news is the Department of Veterans Affairs agrees as well. Their home loan guarantee program, believe me when I tell you, there are no people in this country involved in real estate who are more aware of the flaws than the VA. And I feel for them when, you know, when we're back to going to mid-year in person, uh, one of my, my favorite field trips that NAR offers, and I know it's a very limited number of people, but we go to the VA. We take a group of people to the VA and we get to sit down and talk with them and they get beat up and badgered in that meeting and they hear it every day, 365 days a year. Um, but what's interesting to me is you mentioned things like being competitive with conventional financing forever. And one of the worst secrets, meaning it's a secret and it shouldn't be, it should be more widely talked about are things like, for example, um, time to close on a VA loan is more competitive and comparable to a conventional loan than to FHA, which people think they take too long to close. Appraisal timeliness is now better than conventional. 
So now I know it can't, it won't be, this is averages. So it won't be in every part of the country. And someone will listen to this from California and I'm going to get a nasty note in my Facebook messenger or in my email. And they're going to say, it takes 10 days longer here. Don't even send me the message. I know I'm talking averages. Um, but, uh, one of the things that I love about VA is their tidewater process. And if you, if you don't, if anyone listening isn't familiar with that, that's the process that the appraiser is required to go through. If it looks like the valuation is going to come in low. So if it looks like the value is going to come in low, lower than the contract, the VA appraiser prior to filing the appraisal report is required to let the lender know. So through the appraisal management system or whatever they're using, um, that the value will come in low. The lender is then supposed to let both of the agents know, listing and, and buying agent, that the, the Tidewater process has begun. And then you have an opportunity to submit comparable sales that you think justify the contract. Now, if you've done your job as a listing agent, we meet every appraiser on site for our listings. So I don't care if the buyer has an agent, doesn't have an agent, conventional FHA, VA, whatever. We meet them on site with the comps we use when we price the home, um, uh, a, a fact sheet. So if we had multiple offers, you know, it'll say we had 20 offers, 18 of them were over asking and, and give some facts, a copy of the contract with all the signed uh, exhibits. We put an entire package together for them. If you're not doing that in this market to justify the contract price, especially if it's over list price, you're harming your seller period. But the Tidewater process takes it a step further. If you have a conventional loan that comes in low, when are you going to find out? When it's when they file, done. When yeah. it's done. They yeah. have written the report. And I'll tell you what, I have more luck with a VA appraiser who gives Tidewater and says, now's your opportunity to send me comps. I've had more luck with VA appraisers going back to the drawing board, looking at their work, looking at what I've submitted and possibly raising the value than I do with a conventional appraiser who has already written the report. His job is done, bought and paid for, and he's on to the next five properties tomorrow. He doesn't want to come back to, to my deal. He's like, well, it is what it is. I'm told that it is what it is by conventional on a conventional deal far more often than VA. I truly believe that with very few exceptions, VA appraisers really do want to do the right thing on behalf of the veteran or military borrower. They feel that it's their duty and their obligation to protect that person, which it is. It's all of our duty, but it's also their job to look at all of the data. So in very few cases, do we not see at least some change. It might not bring it up to contract price, but they're going to at least address the comps that we send. So that process, even though some agents hate it because I think they really don't understand it, it's way better than what happens on conventional. And uh, VA loans can be closed just as quickly. Um, and quite frankly, uh, from a statistical standpoint, Veteran borrowers who get pre-approved are more likely to close than even conventional uh, because there's something about that discipline that you learn in the military. Um, they also have better credit on average because they are taught very early in their military career that if you mess up your credit, you are going to potentially not get promoted. You're going to lose your security clearance, which can affect promotion and pay raises and your ability to be deployed. Uh, it can also affect your, in, in extreme cases, it can affect your discharge and, and how, whether you get a general or an honorable. So there's a lot of things that they're taught early on. I compare it to when I was a freshman in college, I would go to football games and there would be credit card companies lined up trying to give me a free t-shirt if I would just fill out this credit card application. When these and kids, and I say kids, cause my brother, his freshman year, his first year out of college was six weeks after graduation boot camp, then AIT, then jump school, then his first posting. And soon after that, his first deployment as an 18 year old, he was taught, don't open a credit card. You don't need a credit card. Why do you need to mess up your credit? You, if you need a credit card, get one and keep an eye on your credit and pay down that balance. And so they're taught so early. So they have a higher chance of closing. They have a higher chance of getting better interest rates. They have a higher chance of 
being a better borrower than people that we judge when we look at offers as being a better chance of closing just because it's conventional. And that's alarming. One other, sorry, Bobby, I've asked too many questions oh. in a row, but I've got another one. And, and it's, and because oh, I've got another I'm one. Mad. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's on this topic. I don't want to forget it because that's what happens. I forget. So we, while, I, while it's in my head. All right, so sometimes we get offers in from VA borrowers and we get nervous. And I say we collectively because they're putting 0% down and we convince ourselves that that means that they're cash poor and that, you know, we've got some kind of a problem there. And what, you know, what can we do to convince the realtor community that just because somebody's putting 0% down doesn't mean that they don't have any money uh, to bring to the table should something happen? I think the challenge is that oftentimes we're more familiar with FHA than we are with VA. And in a lot of circumstances, and, and I'm going to make a generalization here, and I know that it's not 100% true. There are FHA borrowers who have plenty of money and they are going FHA because maybe they have a credit issue or their debt to income is, is not applicable for conventional. So I know that it's not always the case, but oftentimes with FHA borrowers, there is a, a, liquid, a liquidity issue. So they are doing three and a half percent down because the program allows them to. And I know now there's conventional products at 3% that didn't used to be around. And I know 5% is popular. And a lot of our first time home buyers use that. But I guess I would make the, the analogy of uh, the, the free education aspect of the GI Bill. We don't blink an eye when we hear that a veteran is uh, using their GI Bill to pay for their college tuition, right? We don't say, oh, I guess it's just because they don't have any money. No, we celebrate it. We say, isn't it great that they have this amazing benefit where they can get out of the military and maybe they've already gone to college and now they want to go to graduate school or law school, or, or maybe they're like my brother who, did, who went straight from high school into the military and now he's finishing his bachelor's degree online because what a great opportunity for him that wasn't around in the early 2000s when he graduated. And of course, with the pandemic, it's all online right now, or has been. Um, but we don't blink an eye when a veteran gets free education, and we don't assume that it's because they can't pay for it. We celebrate the fact that they earned it. But when they want to buy a house with a, a, a benefit that they earned the exact same way, we say, oh, isn't it sad that they don't have any money for their down payment? Isn't it sad that they're kind of a charity case and we need to view them as such? And it's, it's a complete 180 from the way that we view their other benefits. Um, and I think that that's a shame because it, is, it was earned in exactly the same way and it was certainly earned. Um, there, there's no other way to really talk about it than just to, to make sure that agents that you're dealing with or consumer sellers that you're dealing with, um, especially if you know that they have a military background, get them to buy in to the fact that down payment shouldn't matter. Even if a seller is, has 20%, a buyer has 20% down and they just choose to put zero or, or less down. And one, one of the great things about the removal of the VA County loan limit is the way it used to work is you could get a loan up to the loan limit. And if your loan, if your purchase price, so if you're financing 100% and your purchase price went over the loan limit, then you would have a down payment structure of 25% of the difference. So you weren't putting the entire difference down, but you were still putting a portion of that difference down. And that, in my opinion, made financing contingency paperwork extremely difficult to make sure that you were disclosing correctly. So the VA county loan limit removal was, was very advantageous, not just from a contract and a paperwork perspective, but also uh, from the perspective of the borrower being able to buy more fairly with the program that they've earned. But I think that, you know, when we start to judge offers based on down payment rather than on actual merits that matter, uh, the other terms of the contract, the price, the closing costs, and the things that really contribute to the seller's bottom line, 
we're, we're doing a disservice, not just to the borrower who's using one of his uh, VA benefits, but to the seller who could pass up potentially a really great offer that could get them to closing and might have a higher probability of closing than some of the other deals that just happen to be putting 20% down or have a down payment structure that we see in our, in our limited scope of experience as being more acceptable or more attractive. Okay. So wow. Even I learned something from you today and I hear you talk about this stuff all the time. So I, thank you. Um, it's how we wrap it up every time. What else should we have talked about today that we've not talked about? What did we forget to ask you or did we? One of the topics that is discussed uh, a lot in federal financing and housing policy, a lot within the community of agents that work heavily with veteran and military buyers is the mythical unicorn of VA financing, which is the VA renovation loan. Now, uh, when I first started teaching, working on and then teaching the MRP, and if, if anyone listening to this doesn't have their MRP, and, and you've said to yourself, well, I don't need that certification because I don't live near a military base. First of all, here's my PSA for the day, get it. You never know when your client is a veteran that you can educate, they might think, oh, I can't use my um, VA uh, benefit because I've used it once already. It's a one-time thing. No, it's not. Or I'm not a first-time home buyer. It's only for first-time home buyers. No, it's not. So get your MRP because Anywhere you live in the country, you have the opportunity to work with veterans. So that's first thing. But the back to the unicorn. So the VA renovation loan. When I first started teaching the MRP, um, it's in the it's in the course as a way that you can use VA financing. And I, from the very first time I taught it, when the course debuted at the Train the Trainer in 2012 in Washington D.C. at Midyear. I was getting pushback and objections from the other experienced trainers in the room who were also realtors. And they they would were raising their hand and saying, this doesn't exist. There's no such thing. You're thinking about FHA 203K. And I started to second guess myself. And that's a really horrible feeling when you're standing in front of the classroom and you're supposed to be the subject matter expert. But, um, and I've heard that I've had the pushback ever since. I started asking on Facebook, you know, hey, and in Facebook groups, any lender out there that offers VA uh, renovation loan, contact me. And people were commenting, this doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's not a thing. So in 2019, I was invited by the VA to speak at their VA lender conference. Uh, it was their 20th year of having this conference. This was the first time they'd ever asked a realtor to speak. So we need to do better about continuing our relationships and networking with the VA. How, but I stood in front of a room of a couple hundred VA lenders, and these are lenders that specialize. And I'm not just talking about US, uh, USAA and Veterans United, lenders from all around the country, including Guam and Puerto Rico, and to talk about VA. And I said, how many of you offer VA renovation loans? And about three hands went up. So here's what I would like for you all to do. First of all, I'd like you to know that there is a VA renovation product that is an approved loan product. It's very similar to the FHA 203K loan. And the VA acknowledges that this exists, but we need to figure out why lenders aren't offering it. I think about the market that we're in now, uh, but even more importantly, I think about the market we were in about a decade ago when I don't ever want to get back there. I don't want to get back to foreclosure crisis and a short sale crisis and, uh, you know, a time where there's a glut of inventory on the market. I would love just a balanced, harmonious market where there's houses for everyone. Um, however, real estate is a cycle and we're going to come back around to the time when we when we are in a buyer's market and when there are going to be homes that need renovation. And quite frankly, right now in our seller's market, any, anything will sell right now. But for our VA eligible borrowers to be competitive in a market where they might wanna buy a fixer upper, they might want to have the ability to use their benefits to buy a property that they can per completely personalize and make their own. They might find their dream house that has a butt ugly kitchen 
and maybe needs some exterior work, siding replacements, new windows. Um, maybe they want to create their dream spa-like master bath or put down new hardwood floors. They should have the same ability as someone who does an FHA 203k loan to build that into their financing in a responsible way. That means that they can borrow against the future value of the completed home. And we need more lenders who already love doing VA to learn about this product and to start offering it. Because in order for our uh, VA eligible borrowers to remain competitive and quite frankly, to be able to buy the house they want instead of the house that we tell them that they can buy. This is a product that should be more widely known. So we need to not only lobby our lenders, we need to lobby our Congress people. And we need to say, we need some legislation that makes this loan more accessible, that makes it more attractive to lenders. And quite frankly, we just need legislation that continues to improve the VA product as a whole for our um, very eligible and, and much deserving borrowers um, who are military active duty or veterans to be able to continue to use one of the most valuable benefits of their of the, the GI Bill. And that's my spiel. I like it. I'm glad I asked you that question. I, I've never heard of it before. So 100%, I just learned something. We All do right. have a lender that does that in Kansas City, you guys, and it is prime lending. So there is a lender that does it. Now, is it is it a specific loan officer? Because it I is think, a very specialized product. I, I, I'm sure that it is. I think that they only have one or two loan officers that do their renovation loans in general, but I, I'm 99% confident that they have uh, the VA product available as well. This has been my favorite episode to date, everybody. No offense to anybody else that's ever been a guest on our show. I'm just saying. Also, it's been like over a year since I've seen her in person and it's like a week away and I'm just super excited. So thank you for being our guest. Thank you for being on. And uh, you're welcome back here anytime because you have a wide variety of things you can talk on. So we might have to bring you back. Well, thank you for inviting me. And I'll tell you, if I... It, if I got what is on my wish list, it would be to <clears throat> Kip come and teach a class in person, Kip, <clears throat> <clears throat> and then get to record in person in the room with you lovely people. I think we can make that happen. We'll get on it. All right. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Thank you.